chapter 1 and also 1 Corinthians 2. This past Sunday, I taught a message entitled Believing God. And we spoke about having trust in God to be our deliverer. We spoke about grace. We spoke about faith and how all of that works. And so tonight, I want to carry that forward a little bit. And in 2 Timothy chapter 1, I'm going to read verse number 7. And in 1 Corinthians 2, I'm going to read verse number 12. But 2 Timothy 1, 7, and the following verses first. For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but be a partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began, but is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. So that's 2 Timothy 1, 7 through 10. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 2, and I'd like to read verse 12. <clears throat> now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. So we want to teach on the spirit of faith tonight and show you what some of the scripture has to say about that. Let's have a quick word of prayer. Father, we're grateful this evening for an opportunity to fellowship again. What a wonderful way to spend a Tuesday evening. Lord, we pray that as we teach that you give us all ears to hear. Help me to speak clearly. Give us all a faith injection in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Okay, Paul is the writer of both of the letters where we have our verses. And in 2 Timothy, Paul has written to him, and Timothy was left in a city called Ephesus. Ephesus was a very large metropolis in ancient times, and it was also the home to a great cult of the goddess Diana, a fertility goddess. There were a lot of odd religions in ancient Greco-Roman times. But Timothy had been left there by Paul to shepherd the large church of believers that were there. And Paul has to remind Timothy in this final letter that he wants him to be encouraged. Now, this is one of Paul's prison epistles. He is incarcerated when he's writing this. And it is believed by most scholars that this was the last letter Paul wrote before his life was taken before his summary execution. So he says in the beginning of this epistle to Timothy, in verse 5, he reminds him of the faith that was in his grandmother and mother. So Timothy is the third generation of Christian. And you can see the phrase there, unfeigned faith. This was a sincere faith, a pure faith, a true faith. Paul says, I, I recognized it in your grandmother, Lois. I saw it in your mother, 
and I'm persuaded that it's in you also. Now you would have to have had faith in this time. Because as I say, this was a very difficult time in which to live. Christianity was beginning. Christianity for many people was considered to be no more than an offshoot of Judaism. For other people, they considered Christianity to be its own cult, that it had odd heretical doctrines. Who in the world would worship a man that died on a cross? There were just a lot of people that didn't think Christianity was a good thing and that Christians were good people. And there are a number of ancient writers in Latin who claimed that Christians were cannibals because they didn't understand the Lord's Supper. When the, the verse talks about, except you eat my flesh and drink my blood. And so people who had only a, a casual acquaintance with that verse from John honestly believed that that's what Christians were doing. So you had a number of Latin writers that claimed that Christians would abduct your children and then they'd eat them, <clears throat> sacrificing portions of them to, the, to their gods. <clears throat> and Paul has to tell Timothy here that there's a faith that I've seen in your family, and it's in you, and I've left you right in the hub of religion. And I want you to be strong there, is what he's saying. So verse 6 then, having spoken of that unfeigned faith, he then says, now I want you to remember the gift of God that you received through the laying on of my hands. Now Paul did have a ministry of putting his hands on people and people receiving <clears throat> various gifts, the Holy Spirit. We know in Acts chapter 19, Paul prayed for several disciples. It says, Spirit of God came upon them. They began to speak with another language. But having spoken of faith in verse 5, and then of the gift in verse 6 that he's to stir up, he then says in verse 7, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power and love and of a sound mind. Now, we need to know that when he talks about the gift of God in verse number six, that that very well is a reference to the faith, but also to the fact in verse seven, he's received a spirit of power, love and a sound mind. So faith and the spirit are connected. In fact, Paul says it this way in Second Corinthians 4.13, I believe it is, he says, having received the same spirit of faith. Therefore, I have believed and I have spoken. He's quoting Psalm 116, verse 10. And then he goes on to say, therefore, we believe, so we speak. So there is a, a connection between your speech and what you believe. If someone asks you, are you able to do something? If you believe you're able to do it, more than likely you'll say yes. But if you don't believe you're able to do it, it's likely that you'll say no. <clears throat> but if you're a person of, of confidence in God, then, then you may go far enough to say, well, I'll give it my best shot or an earnest attempt. Or you may just be strong enough in your faith to just believe, you know what, I can actually do this. So this, this is what we want you to see. God wants each of us to have inside of us a spirit of faith for the environment and the atmosphere in which we live. We're surrounded by religion just like the people were in ancient times. There are a lot of people say they, they believe in God, they believe there is a God. Folks will tell you, I believe there's a God, I believe there's heaven, but I'm not sure there's hell. Or people will tell you, I believe in angels, but I'm not sure how, how that all works out. Some will even say, I'm not part of any kind of organized religion at all, but I am spiritual. So you run into people all the time that have some kind of belief 
And you have to be strong enough in what you believe to not allow someone else's beliefs or persecution of your own individual belief to hinder you in your relationship with God. And sometimes this persecution gets so bad where there are physical attacks. When Paul preached, he often was thrown in jail. He was physically assaulted. We don't have to deal with a lot of that here in America right now, but you do know around the world if you pay attention to different uh, magazines like, let's say, uh, Voice of the Martyrs and things like that. You read about Christians all the time that are incarcerated because they love God, martyred because they love God. Christians today that are beheaded. So imagine if you're on the receiving end of a letter like this from Paul, who's already in jail because of the gospel. And then he's trying to encourage you to not only believe God, but believe God to the point that you yourself may end up in jail as I'm in jail. And that is the kind of faith that we need to have. But verse seven is important here. God has not given us a spirit of fear. Now we read in first Corinthians two that God has not given us the spirit of the world. The spirit of the world is carnal. It's 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 uh, sensual, wicked in a sense. But we've received the spirit of God that we might know what is freely given to us. All of us like free gifts and benefits. God has provided those for us. So here we are. It says a spirit of fear. What is a spirit of fear? You, you've seen people where they've had phobias. Uh, some people are afraid of closed, enclosed places. I've met people who are afraid of crowds. I don't just mean uncomfortable. I mean, get sick, ill, if, if they're in the midst of crowds. I've seen people who are afraid of being in the Great Plains because they have a, when you can see all around, they, they feel like they're falling. I've met people who have a fear of heights. Can't get them to climb to the top of a ladder, you see, anything like that. And certainly you can't get them to go up on the 30 or 40th floor of a building and look out the window. And, and these these fears are real. I've met people who they have such a fear of snakes. They tear a person's house up if they thought there was a snake somewhere in that house. Yeah. Now, this is what Paul says he has not given us. He has not given us a spirit of fear. And and the reason for that is because fear usually brings with it all kinds of baggage that's not healthy. Yeah, it it, it really does. And I'll I'll explain that a little bit more here. Okay, so, so fear then, we have to understand, is a form of belief. Your faith which is trust and confidence and belief in God. Then you have fear, which also is a trust or confidence, but it's not a belief in God. It's a, it's a fear many times or belief in something that's not real. It hasn't occurred yet. But, but fear is something they, 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 they're governed by. The little kid who gets into an argument with another kid in school, and then the, the, the kid says, tomorrow it's going to be you and me. And so all evening long, that little boy, that little girl is thinking that tomorrow when he or she sees that other party, they're going to tussle. And that person is afraid to go to school, doesn't want to go to school. Now, the fight hadn't happened yet, but but they're afraid of what could happen. See, that's what happens many times with fear. A person has fear and 
They are afraid of what hasn't happened. Well, if I, if I buy this car, then what if I can't keep it? And then the bank calls in the loan and they come and appropriate it in the middle of the night. Now, that hasn't happened yet. But it's a fear that governs a lot of people. And this is what God is saying. As, as, a, as your heavenly father and as you're his child, he has not given you a nature of fear. He's given you the ability to believe. And to believe what you can't see. Remember the story of Jesus raised from the dead and Thomas had heard he was alive. And Thomas said, you know what, if I don't see Jesus, I'm not going to believe anything. I've got to stick my hand in his holes and in his side and in the wounds in his hand. And if I can't do that, I don't believe anything. So when Jesus knew that Thomas was with the disciples, he walked up to Thomas and he told Thomas, stick your hand in here. And he did. He said, put your hands here. And he did. And he said, Thomas, you are blessed because you believe. Because Thomas said, oh, my Lord, my God. And the Lord said, OK, you're blessed because having seen me, you believe. But blessed are those who haven't seen and yet believe. So none of us have never seen Jesus in the flesh. But we do know that God has not given us a spirit of fear. There is a way to deal with fear. And first John tells us that perfect love, complete love, a mature love expels fear. You have to treat fear like an enemy. You have to treat it like an enemy. You cannot treat fear like it's a misunderstood friend. And you're going to coddle it. Try to make it feel better. Fear is something that you have to be, just want to get rid of. You know, if, if somebody were to say to me, well, Pastor, you better be careful about going over there in that room there. There's a ghost or a spirit or a boogeyman behind that door. I'm going to kick the door down. Just kick it down. God doesn't want us to live in fear. But, but he does say, rather than having a spirit of fear, here are the qualities exhibited by the spirit of faith or the spirit of God. One is power. So God gives you authority. He gives you the ability to do what you cannot do on your own. The Bible says with God, all things are possible. Or in another way, it says, uh, for with God, nothing shall be impossible. People have accomplished great things in this world simply because they trusted God and they refused to have fear, but they understood that if they trusted in God's ability in them, something good could happen. So think about the Wright brothers trying to get a plane off the ground. They could have easily thought to themselves, this is, there's no way on this earth this is going to work, and could have given up over and over and over again after all the failures they had. But when they started flying, look at all of us now. And, and, and I would imagine that we've got a number of people in here that, that fly. I fly quite often, and there's, uh, it's, it's rare, and I don't think I do it often. When I get on the airplane, I don't usually stop and look in the cockpit to see who's in there. Not that it would matter anyhow. It's not like I've ever asked a pilot, can you please show me your license? I just get on the airplane, and I sit in my seat, and I believe they know what they're doing. Yeah, I believe. And if I can exercise that same kind of faith that would permit a stranger to take me somewhere and just believe he's going to get me there on time, then I can exercise the same kind of faith when it comes to God. And if God has promised it in the word of the Lord, even though I've never seen God with my physical eyes, I know with the eyes of my understanding in my heart that he's taken me where I need to go. 
That's what I'm saying. A spirit of faith. And it helps us to believe in the power of God because he's equipped us with this power. So the scripture says, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. First Corinthians 2.12 said, we have not received the spirit of the world. So the spirit in you is greater than the spirit of this world. What is the, the culture of this world is a product of the spirit of this world. The culture of the kingdom of God is a product of the spirit of God. So what is one of the notable characteristics of God's spirit? The Bible calls God's spirit the Holy Spirit. So that's going to be one of the outstanding characteristics of, of the Holy Spirit. When the scripture speaks of the God of this world who has blinded the, the eyes and hearts of men so that they won't believe the gospel, then we understand that part of the role of culture is to withhold truth from its citizens. Yeah, that's, that's, that's the role of, of, a, of a culture that is opposed to God. Now, the people who are involved with that culture don't see that, nor do they believe that's what they're actually doing. But that's from a scriptural perspective what, what Paul says is taking place. Well, the next one, he says, is a spirit of love. God's given you the ability to love the, the, the angriest people, the meanest people that there are on the planet. And God gives this love so that we can manifest God's love. Romans 5 and 5, the love of God is shed abroad in your hearts. That means that if you're a Christian, you cannot say, or let's say it this way, you should not say, I can't love that person. Because it's not a matter of ability. You can. God's given you the power. And he's placed the love in your heart. So the capacity is there. It would be better if you just simply said, I will not love that person. See, that's, that's more honest. I refuse to love him or her because I don't like him. And they get on my nerves. See, that would be more honest if you just say that. But, but don't say you can't do it. Because most of us put up with and tolerate actions and attitudes from people in our family that we would never put up with or tolerate from the neighbor. Yeah, we, we just cut them off in a heartbeat and say we didn't care if we didn't see them again. God has given you the spirit of love so that in the midst of this world you would be able to continue to walk with him. And remember, love expels fear. So when you love God the way you should love God and love one another the way we should love one another, then we're not afraid of one another. We're not afraid of God. God's nature is, is good. But then the scripture also says of a sound mind. Now that's important because fear produces emotions that oftentimes are a product of an irrational mind. At that moment, a person's mind is not sound, which is why they tell people you ought to be careful about when you make major decisions in your life. See, if, some, if you're walking down the road and then all of a sudden the dog comes up behind you and you don't know the dog is there, then suddenly the dog barks and then you turn around and jump. Or if you're in your house and you turn and you walk down the hallway and you turn right into the kitchen and you don't realize that somebody in the house is there trying to scare you and they jump out and they say, boo, and then you just shriek. I know people do that because I do it all the time. Yeah. Yeah, I meet them sometime right at the, the front door of the church, and, and I hide right in that space where when they're looking at the window, they can't see, and I'll do just like this. And then when they open up the door, I stick my head out and say, praise the Lord, and you hear all this screaming going on. 
Well, the reason people are screaming is because at that moment, there is an emotion that is manifesting itself. And, and God gives us a spirit of a sound mind so that as we're confronted with different things, that we don't act irrationally and do things that later on could be very problematic. I've seen people try to surprise people, and it goes the wrong way. Yeah, yeah. They, they, used, to, they used to say in the military, people are not responsible for what they do. The first 30 seconds, they jump up, wake up from a dead sleep. So they tell you to stop just waking people up, because what they used to do, they used to toss a, a, a garbage can down the center of the squad bay, and that's how we all got up and boot up and just terrified us. I mean, but we'd jump up. We'd so, be so shocked. I mean, people would hit their heads on the bottom of the, the upper guy's bunks, and then you, every morning you had somebody bleed, and other people would fall out of the top bunk because they're coming yelling and screaming. See that? You don't have a sound mind when you wake up and those kinds of things are, are taking place. So this is why God gives us a sound mind, so that as Christians we can live our lives in a way that's healthy. Now, now, why do people have, or why do some people have nervous breakdowns? Sometimes it's because we don't bring every thought captive. Now, the scripture says this. Think on things that are lovely, of a good report, pure, holy, and so on and so on. Now, that's not something you can do for me, and I can't do that for you. But I do know this. No two thoughts can occupy the same space. At the same time. So you can change your mind whenever you want to. If you want to meditate and think about every bad thing that people have done to you, I can promise you your emotions are going to follow your thinking. You're going to be mad. You're going to be upset. You're going to be bitter, full of unforgiveness. But if you take the time to cast those thoughts out for that moment and just begin to think about the goodness of God. And like the old hymn says, count your blessings, name them one by one. And you begin to think about that, you'll feel a whole lot better about yourself. And oftentimes, the person who, who meditates on things that depress them, things that beat them down, abuse that has come to them, if, if they're not careful, then the adversary, the devil, he gets in the middle of that, and, and pretty soon you're dealing with somebody who, who is so pushed down that they can't rise up. And, and then I don't want to leave the house, keep all the curtains drawn. Then I become moody. And if I become moody, then there's just really no telling what in the world's going to happen when I, when I get upset, because when I'm having these mood swings, it, it, it's going to be tough. And the, the, the adversary likes to move into that and take advantage of that. The scripture says here in verse 7, God has not given us that kind of a spirit, not a spirit of fear, but one of a sound, healthy mind. And he says, Timothy, since you've received that, in verse number 8, do not be ashamed of the testimony of the Lord. So you don't have fear. Do not be ashamed to tell people that you're a Christian. Sometimes believers get in the company of non-believers and they don't want anybody to know that they're Christian. So what they'll do is they'll blend in. Well, if you're with the good old boys and you're, you're having coffee or you're with some of the 
the, the ladies in town and everybody's having a good time, then, you know, it's easy to just kind of feel everybody else cussing. Why not just get involved with it too? Just a couple of words not going to bother anybody. Well, it, it can. It, it can affect your, your testimony. It, it can. Well, if, if, if he says here, don't be ashamed of, of, of the testimony of the Lord, then we have to know the story of Jesus to realize what we shouldn't be ashamed of. Don't be ashamed of the fact that we say Jesus was born of a virgin. Yeah, we, we believe that. And that's what the people in the first century church believe. And I can tell you right now, um, that's not a belief that's popular in most Bible colleges and seminaries and universities. Religious departments of universities. You say something like that. You believe that Jesus was born of a virgin. They say, what other superstitions and myths you believe in? Yeah. But, you know, don't be ashamed of it. If you say that Jesus lived in this world without sin, that, that, that's a good thing, too. Paul, he would have had to let Timothy in on all of this because in, in Timothy's time, the Greeks and the Romans had many beliefs about gods who came down and slept with women and produced these half God, half men like children. We, we use the, the, the modern word heroes. That's the ancient Greek word to describe a person that was half God, half man. See, that superhuman power and strength. The, the idea that Jesus was born of a virgin and lived without sin, that, that certainly, the, the virgin part, that certainly wasn't anything that was difficult for people to comprehend. But the idea that he lived without sin, because the ancient gods, when you read them old stories, they fought with one another. They did bad things to everybody else. One day they were happy, the next day they were destroying everything. So they, they, they couldn't understand who Jesus was. But, but Paul says here, this testimony is secure. This Jesus died on the cross. This Jesus, he was raised from the dead. The Savior that we worship, he is the one that you should tell everyone about. And he said, don't be ashamed of the fact that I'm a prisoner. So if I went to jail as a Christian or you went to jail as a Christian, I'd come and visit you. I wouldn't be afraid to put my name down on the visitors list. I'd want people to know I came to visit Marla in the jail. They say, anybody know where Marla's at? She's at the ladies prison in York and I'm going to visit her because I'm not ashamed of the testimony of Jesus Christ. Well, it's easy to, it's easy to look at, at these things 2,000 years later and wonder how Timothy received this letter, but I'd like to believe that, that he, he understood that Paul was serious about this. And he says to him in verse 8, don't be a, uh, afraid, or he gives him the command, an imperative, you should be a partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. So if you're going to have to take a beating for Jesus, Timothy, you take it. You own it like a man, but don't be afraid. That's what he said. To be a Christian means that you have to be willing to take up the cross and follow the Lord. And there will be people who will stand in line to drive a spike through your hand or stick a spear through your side, figuratively speaking. There's always somebody that won't like you, that will be envious of you, jealous of you. And because of those feelings that they have, they'd rather see you go down rather than see you go up. They'd rather see you demoted rather than promoted. But Paul said, enter into those afflictions according to the power of God. And then he gives us some information about God who, number one, saved us. Number two, called us. 
So let's work on that. He saved us. He delivered us from sin. So we come out of darkness into the light, out of the world, into the kingdom of God. The Lord gives us a spirit of faith. He gives us the ability to believe that Jesus is the son of God. But that's not enough. He gives us the ability to live the Christian life. A spirit of faith is in you to manifest Jesus in every aspect of your life. Yeah, you you can do that. But you can only do that if you match your heart and your mind. There's got to be a connection. How do I match my my heart and my mind? You have to wash your brain with the word of God. You've got to change your thoughts. This is what the scripture is saying. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Ephesians 4, 23. There are things that all of us probably believe in our heart, but probably can't explain up here. If somebody asks you, do you believe in the Trinity? God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Ghost. I would assume the answer is yes. If somebody said, explain it to me, oh, that, that might be a little bit harder. If, if someone said to you, do you believe that, that Jesus' blood cleanses you of all sin? You say, yes. Okay, well, how exactly does that work? So what we do then is we, we learn the scripture, we read the scripture so that we can match our mind and our heart. Because even though we're persuaded here, we still need to have it here because this is where the soundness of the mind takes place. And thinking is powerful. The proverb says, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. If you think you're defeated, if you think you're a failure, if you think you can't do it, you won't ever do it. You'll always be a failure. But if you change your mind and begin to see, as the Bible says, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made, you'll start acting like a creature that comes from the hands of God and you're gifted and talented by God. All of us are talented and gifted in different ways. No two of us in here are the same. No two people have the same fingerprint. I don't suppose no two people have the same eyeball, but I know no two people have the same identical Christian walk in relationship with God. And the only way yours is going to differ from mine is by the gifts and talents that God gives us. Some people, they, 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 they don't have a problem at all explaining the scripture. Some people, they, they're a little bit more hesitant when it comes to that. But God still gives us all a spirit of faith to be able to believe that we can We can speak the word because the scripture says in the hour that you need to speak, God will be in your mouth as wisdom. So you won't remember everything you hear a preacher teach on. But at the appropriate time, you'll open up your mouth and be able to share what you know. And it'll be right in season, a word in season. Verse nine says he has called us with a holy calling. I don't know if you've ever thought of yourself as being a called person. But everyone born into the kingdom of God is born with a calling on their life. Verse 9 says a holy calling. The Lord said of Jeremiah, before you were formed in your mother's womb, I knew you. That's what he said. So, so, so that leads me to believe that even though we may describe a birth or conception, I should say, as an accident, God already knew what's going to happen. Yeah. My, my mom and dad, uh, they weren't expecting me. And when uh, my mom found out that I was coming along, my mom was hoping I was a girl. So I... I, I like to remind her of the fact God's smarter than she is. <laughs> See? Yes. Smarter. 
Well, if each one of us recognizes that we come into this world with a particular calling, then it is also Paul who makes it very plain that it wasn't until he became a Christian that he learned that his life existed to manifest Christ. And he said in the book of Colossians that our life is hid with God in Christ. So many people go most of their lifetime and never, ever know for what reason they were ever born. They just they just go to work and they go home and they live their life and they're good dads or good moms and, and, and things like that. And it's only after they become a Christian that the Lord begins to slowly pull the veil back on some of the Christian things and show them this is what I've called you to do. Because now God can speak to us in dreams. He can whisper to our heart. He can talk to you when you're up there on that tractor out there in the field, up under the car trying to repair something, changing a tire, somebody that's in a classroom or somebody sitting on a couch or at home at a desk. The Lord is able now to whisper to them and start giving them desires that they never had before they became a Christian. And when the Bible says God will give you the desires of your heart, that is true. He may give you some of the things that you want, but he also may put desires in your heart in certain seasons of your life. So there are things that you may want now in life that you did not want when you were 30. And most most people, when they're in their 60s, they're usually not trying to get more debt. They're usually trying to get everything paid off. But, but people in their 20s and 30s, oh, they, they don't think anything. They don't mind. They'll buy anything. You know, they, they don't care. And, and teenagers, uh, teenagers, they don't even think about what insurance on a car would be. If I can buy it, I'll just get it. But, but as a Christian, then, our desires change according to the season of our lives, and that's part of the calling. God has called us to do different things in different seasons of our life. That's what I want you to see who saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works. You may have great abilities. You may have great talents. You may have been the best trumpet player and clarinet player. You might have sat first chair in every orchestra in which you played in school. But when you start serving God, God may never let you blow another horn again. Because it doesn't have anything to do with your ability. It has to do with what he wants to do in you. Because blowing a horn could have been a source of pride. And God doesn't want to bring that pride back into manifestation. Sometimes he has to crucify the things that we love the most in order to bring the humility that's going to promote the kingdom of God. John the Baptist said, I have to decrease so that he can increase. He is the most important thing in our Christian lives. It's never us. It's never about us. The decisions we make can never simply be about us. It's about how we're going to connect with the community of God and our relationship with God. That's that's the important thing. Okay, so verse nine, then the the uh, last clause talks about that it was given to us in Christ before the world began and tying this to first Corinthians two twelve, the freely the things freely given to us by God. You will never know what is freely given if you don't take the time to study it out. It's it's like every year this time uh, people do their taxes and, you know, the tax laws change all the time. But if you don't, if you don't look at the, the, the codes and see how they've been rewritten, then you'll never know what deductions 
you'll be able to, to have. But if you learn the new deductions, you might find out it might be a better, for you than, better year for you this year than it was for you last year. Something that's freely given. Well, in the, in the kingdom of God, the Lord has provided numerous things for us, but all of them are connected to our placement in Christ. You run into that over and over again. In Christ Jesus. This is not for people that don't know God. This is for us. Freely given to Christians. But verse 10, it is now visible by the appearing of our Savior. We did not know that God was so interested in the salvation of the ends of the earth until Jesus came and died on the cross and was raised from the sin, raised from the dead, and then said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. We had no idea until Jesus came. Now, we knew from the Old Testament that you could be of any nation and come and join Judaism and accept the Lord, and God could go from there. And we knew from Genesis 1 that God made the world, so he loved all the peoples in the world. But in terms of evangelism, who do we have in the Old Testament do evangelism in different nations? Jonah, he went to Nineveh, preached. And uh, maybe a couple of other verses to give you a few other people. But now this is a planned expansion of the kingdom of God. And had, had Paul not gone to Europe and converted Lydia, the first convert in Europe in the book of Acts, had she not become a Christian, then Christianity possibly would not have spread the way it did in Europe. Then there's a very good chance that it would not have spread like it did to places on the continent and some of the islands there in uh, Great Britain. And maybe all of world history would be different because there'd have been no need for the pilgrims to leave England and other places and come here because there wouldn't have been any persecution. So one thing always affects another. Jesus came and set in motion some very important things. And verse 10 says he brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. I am never going to die, nor are you. We're not going to die. We're, we're going to, this physical body is one day going to give up the ghost and they're going to put it in the ground and we're going to have a funeral and somebody's going to stand over us and give a eulogy, which is a good word. But by the time they have the funeral and speak the good word, we're already going to be in the presence of the Lord. See, our, our, our natural man decays. But this on the inside of us is never going to die. We're going to be with the Lord forever and ever and ever. And this is what, what Paul is saying here. We, we have a totally different focus now as Christians because we think of eternal life in Jesus Christ. To know that there is a city, New Jerusalem, to know that, that there is a, a place in the presence of the Lord where we'll be, he, he says that, that's important. So, Timothy, don't have a spirit of fear, but have one of power, of love, and of a sound mind. And to meditate on these things this will keep you from going crazy in a world that's losing its mind every day. Yeah. I, I don't know how anyone lives without God today. I don't. I really don't. I, sometimes Tiffany and I look at some of these uh, shows on Food Network channel or something like that, and, and, and the commercials. I mean, the commercials. This, I, told, I tell Tiffany, I said, people would go insane if they just watched this stuff all the time, you know. And when, when I was a little kid and I'd go to my grandma's house, my grandma was a big, a big fan of CBS starting at about 1230 in the afternoon. 
That's, that's right about the time. All the, you know, now the bold and beautiful. And as the world turns and, and uh, used to be guiding light and all that kind of a thing. And, and whenever Tiffany and I would go home, she, she was always surprised because I'd go visit one of my older aunties who, who still looks at all of that. And, and, and we'd sit down in the room and, and with my auntie, you only talk on the commercials. It's the only time you talk. She's not hitting paws for anybody, just on, on, on the commercials. So, so we, we, we go over there sometimes, and we'll sit down in that room, and that's, that stuff will be on. And, and I'll look, and i said, oh, my Lord, you mean to tell me Mr. Abbott is still on there after all these years? And Tiffany just shakes her head. Like, how do you not say these, these people have been on here for 30 or 40 years? I still remember who these folks are. But, but now, though, when I look at some of the storylines, I said, wow, this stuff isn't fit for anybody. Because she didn't been with everybody in his family, and, and he didn't been with everybody in that family. Folks, God gives us the ability to have a sound mind, but we have to do what we can to hold it together with the word of God. Yeah, I'm not saying you've got to be an ostrich and bury your your head in the sand, but I, I am telling you, you'd probably be better off as an ostrich than you would looking at some of this stuff that comes on today. This stuff is destructive. But the Christian is not given a spirit of fear. I refuse to be the kind of person that even though there's a lot of stuff going on in the world that I don't like, that I'm going to be afraid. I think we should be the peers causing the pressure rather than the ones under peer pressure. And when I have opportunities to speak in different places. And uh, people are asking me questions afterwards. They say, how can you just stand up there and just say some of these things you say, even in schools and stuff, you know, just so boldly, just like there's just no other way to, to see it. I just say, well, you know, as I see it, there is no other way to see it, you know. And, and I understand you can, you can teach a variety of perspectives in order to help people think about things in different ways, but there are some issues in life that just don't change. Jesus Christ is the Savior. That's all there is to that. I, I don't have a whole lot of, there's no room for me to, to wiggle on, on, on something like that. And God hadn't caused us Christians to be afraid. We're supposed to be people of boldness and courage and, and might and trust in God. And no matter what takes place, we're supposed to believe God. The doctor says to me, Daryl, it looks like it's terminal. We give you about a year and a half. I say, doctor, I appreciate all the medical technology and everything that you have, but I got a physician that's greater than you. Well, I may not say that, but I will say this. I'm going to be trusting the word of God, and I'm going to believe God. You say a year and a half, doctor, uh, doctor up in heaven is going to give me 10. That's what I'm going to believe God for. Yeah, and that's, that's no other way to live. The, the, the only other thing to do is you allow people's words to shape how you live. Remember, going back to what I said earlier about the words. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. So somebody says to you, you're never going to amount to anything. Kids hear that all the time. You're going to be just like your dad. You're going to be just like your mom. They weren't anything. You're not going to be anything. So kids grow up shaped by those words, and they honestly believe I'm not supposed to accomplish anything or do anything. That's not how this thing works at all. You don't have, do not have to be shaped by somebody else's thoughts. When someone says uh, to you that, <clears throat> you know, if they ask you, how are you doing today? And then you say, oh, I'm doing, doing pretty good. Then they, then they say to you, you know, well, are you sure you're doing good? 
I mean, just you don't look well right now. You're tired or something. Well, I, I do feel a little tired. You know. well, is, is everything all right? You just, just look flush, you know, just maybe you're pale or something like that. Have you got, have you got your blood checked lately? Well, I have been feeling a little bit weak. Might be a little anemia setting in after a while. And if, if you're not careful, somebody will have destroyed your entire day inside of 15 minutes. So, you know, the best way to do that is when people ask you how you're doing, say, I'm blessed and highly favored of the Lord. Because that's not based upon how you look. That's a condition God has provided for you. I'm blessed and highly favored. Hey, Pastor, how you doing today? I'm blessed, sir. I'm blessed. And just keep walking, keep going. And I don't, I don't have to get into all of, all of the, uh, the other things that, that come up. So just believe God, folks. Trust God. He's given you spirit of faith. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and we love you. We appreciate the fact that the word is true. You are slowly changing our minds each day as we read your word. So God, we pray that you make us stronger, give us confidence in you to know that you are greater in us than the world is, Lord. So God, we appreciate all that you've done, all that you're doing, all that you are going to do in Jesus' mighty name. Amen, amen.